That is so much fun, I gotta tell you. Get up there and sing with that little angel. Whoa! <sighs> wow. I'm ready to go home, shucks. I, I'll pray that. Well, let me share this with you then. Huh? It's a good place to be. So welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. And uh, if you're here for the first time, thanks for checking us out. We've got a big open house, big coffee house open house on the 31st. And if you'd like to know more and, and get uh, a little bit of information about um, the ins and outs as well and just to be here in the energetic of it. I think any time we can gather in the uh, incubator of unconditional love, um, we benefit. And so one of the things that I'm real mindful of and, 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 and want in community is uh, that that sense of connection, that deep sense of the unified field, the oneness. So I thank you for joining because it, it would, uh, and I mean this sincerely, it wouldn't be the same if you weren't here because each one of us adds to the mosaic of that experience. And it's as if our souls create this tapestry. Not all souls touch one another at the same time, but the, but the tapestry we create is quite lovely. So thank you. So I'm gonna invite you to uh, join me in a, a little bit of a spiritual practice called silence because what I do every time I speak is I destroy the silence and I'm very mindful of that so I try to be as as uh, graceful as possible in destroying that silence so I'm going to time and then I will I will sing a chant with you and if you'd like to join me please feel free if not let it just wash over you let it be part of the soundtrack of your experience and then I will offer a uh, what we call an affirmative prayer, prayer treatment. It is something that our practitioners and uh, all of the people that are, have studied with us in our classes uh, become more and more proficient at. So let's begin. Let's dive into the silence. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so let's know together. Thank you for the opportunity and the honor to allow my words to be your words. If they don't fit, just let them wash over you. You don't need to dismantle them. If they're not a good fit, they're just not for you. So I honor your discernment in this, but what I know the truth as we are called together in this moment is that there's one force for good, there's one life, there is a vibration of the most high, it is a quantum field, that it is vast and yet it is a wave that occasionally shows up as a particle in this experience. But in this wave of unconditional love, beauty, joy, and opportunity that responds to us in this intimate relationship, whatever we give it consistently shows up in our life. 
That's the good news, and sometimes that's the bad news. But we are here in co-creation. The opportunity is to step into co-creation because that life, that one life, is my life, it is your life. There is no denying that. And so we are on this eternal journey of the soul, deepening, maturing, embodying, and understanding that all of it, the light and the dark, is all of the same source. So I know that we, each one of us is guided this day as well as myself. I'm grateful beforehand for the words and the insight and the awareness for music, for ears to hear, for eyes to see, for hands to craft, to touch, to hug, to hold for this life and all it contains. So as we come together and up-level our capacity to bring our spirituality, to bring that sacredness, to bring that genius and that possibility in and through and as each and every one of us, I give thanks. I release these words and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Such a great, uh, great day to be here. And you know, as I sang with Mallory, um, first song, and I realized that I just love her voice, so I love to stop and listen to her while, I'm, while you're listening to her because it's just so beautiful. And then I get to kind of add some little flourishes in there, but just love it because it's kind of like spirit. It's kind of like there's this wave of energy that is moving. And however we want to participate with it, we can, we can add our flourish. We can, we can take our paintbrush out and color it a certain way. And that's life. But that, that steadiness of that beat, as, as Mallory carried that song forward, reminded me so much of the, the spiritual process. Just because I'm not singing doesn't mean it doesn't keep going and moving and creating. So we're, doing, we're talking about inclusivity. It's our third work week. And inclusivity for me is really about the totality of being. It's truly about the, the, Carl Jung talked about wholeness. He was a big, big uh, uh, voice on the planet and still is because we were able to record his insights and awarenesses, but wholeness is what he was talking about. And so for me, inclusivity means owning all of ourselves because without that, we're just posers. We're just showing up and pretending. And it's important that this at this time in our evolution of humanity and on this planet at this point in time. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that we're here. And we're called to something. We are called to something. Ernest Holmes said that to understand the working of the law is knowledge, but to use it constructively is wisdom. So it's one thing to know and it's another to do. And we are in a point in time where it's not enough to just know. It's time to understand how it works and make it work in our lives. And so for me, I look at the world, I look at the, the, the new thought movement and, the, and the, this tradition, which is so beautiful and so wonderful, and where it has gone off the rails. Because we've celebrated so much of the light all the time. It's, you know, I'm the light of the world, as Jesus said, and Christianity is all about the light, as Carl Jung had said in his studies. But he said the problem with Christianity, not a criticism, but there's no capacity in it. There's no mechanisms in it to own the darkness as well. If you look at the Hindu tradition, if you Google it, there's many traditions, sacred rituals in it that, are, that celebrate that, as well as the Buddhist. So our tradition, I think it's important for us to live from the wisdom Holmes talked about. And if it truly is that it's all God, then the dark's God too. And how do we work with that? How do we take that along with us? So this week I wanted to talk about three things. Number one is triggering moments. Number two is enemy territory. And number three is the big split. And so there's a next slide I have is Carl Jung, a little cartoon of him. And he said, everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. 
Does anybody here have anybody in their life that, that some of you irritate them? Oh, you are so lucky. We should, we should have you all come up here and stand right now. We could applaud you. This is awesome. That's a good stuff. But it is the journey, isn't it? I mean, isn't it fascinating? But do you ever think that maybe that's the way it was all set up to begin with? So working the triggering moment. Oh, Carl Jung had another quote. He said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Isn't that fascinating? Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And so I don't know about you, but I like to direct my life. I'm not a control freak, but we are, we are a tradition that just, we are like draw moss to a flame when it comes to control freaks. You know, oh, I'm God and I'm master of time, space, and dimension. That's for me. Let me take that on. So how do we stand in the polarity? Because every virtue on the planet has an opposite. And without the opposite, there's no validity. In other words, light needs darkness. Joy needs sorrow. Because then we have no comparisons. We have no... We have no continuum of comparison. And, it, and it's paradoxes. It's paradoxes. I'm going to talk next week about it. I just watched the movie The Summer of Love. It's about 1967, San Francisco. I'm going to save it for next week. But it's interesting what, what planted the seeds for that and what happened and how it unfolded. And it's a, a beautiful example of humanity and how we look, we, we create an ideal and then we try and pull it together. And yet, if it doesn't have the paradox, it doesn't have the opposite, it can't stand because it's not healthy enough and vibrant enough. It needs both. So the first triggering moments, and there's a picture of an Olympic athlete. The the starting gun has just gone off, and she's taken off. And and I think it's such a great metaphor, because all it takes is that that person that irritates us to say one thing. And we are off and running, right? That son of a gun! Or whatever you put after son. But those triggering moments are where our treasure is. And see, when we understand it as one thing, but to, to, to be able to work with it is wisdom. Because once we bring clarity to it, once we bring it into the light of awareness, it no longer has power. Because we can look at it, as Dr. Holmes said, we must look at a thing long enough till it has no power over us. This is what the great teachers did. If you look at the life of Jesus and if you look at the life of the Buddha and you look at, at Gandhi, I mean, how did Gandhi take a stand against this British empire to free an entire nation? But he knew what he was about. He knew what was important to him. And so when the accusations came at him, he was able to, like I said last week, like a bullfighter, just take the cape and watch it go by. There was no place for it to land. It doesn't mean it isn't real for the other person, and it's not, it's not insulting to not own it, but to own it and take it on is enabling. And we are a culture that is so good at enabling one another, and it needs to stop. We need to be able to stand. What this journey does is it helps build a capacity for compassion, first for oneself. Because when you start to look at these things, you'll start looking at the, the triggers that got planted as a kid. You're triggering moments as a kid. Someone was telling me a story this last week about his, uh, they were struggling to get some, some studies done, graduate studies done in a, in a um, degree. And I said, well, go back in your childhood to when you, you first had this experience where you weren't smart enough or couldn't get it done. And the, the story came up where they had been slapped by their parent for getting a bad grade. I said, that's a trigger. Now you get to go back, you bring it into awareness, you re-script it, you look at it. 
Your parents are doing the best they know how. You know, I, yesterday, Laura and I were at the park with my two-year-old. She's almost two. She's 22 months, just a little over. And, uh, you know, she takes us there, two, two adults, and she takes us there, and she's, you know, that big, and she's directing us all over the park, of course. And so we get over, finally we get over to the swings, and we've been putting her in this swing that you can't fall out of, or it's almost impossible to, and now she wants to do it on the big swing. So I make sure she's hanging on, and we get, her, get it going, and... So we got done with that, and she gets off, and there was a little girl that sat down next to her on the swing, right by it, and I said, what's your name? She said, Hazel. I said, hey, Hazel, nice to meet you, and she's about four years old, probably. And so Hazel said, would you sit down next to me and swing on this swing? I said, sure. So I sat down to swing on this swing. My 22-month-old granddaughter went crazy ballistic. She was so ticked off at that. That was not going to happen. This was her grandfather, and nobody was going to swing with her grandfather but her. And I just thought, look at this. She's got this down. I mean, this stuff happens when we're little. We get the triggers. And, and then, she, of course, she was sliding. We were playing, and she slid down on a slide, and you'd think kid could, but she got a little slide burn on her, on her ankle. And... Um, and we were looking at it and I, finally after thinking about it I said well you know that's what develops resiliency you get come you get, you get slide burns and you get nicks and I cut the, my uh, shin I don't know where I got it I was bleeding when I got home and I thought wow look at that but, but isn't this life there was a woman on a, that was upset with the city of Edmonton her daughter went down a slide and got a slide burns and I just thought but this is life we get, we get bumped and bruised and banged up and that's exactly what happens every time she goes to the park. But that, that toughens you up. It's not that we don't care and we don't want her to be in harm's way. But, but life has friction. And there's moments where those, those triggering moments. So now, here we are. We love her, adore our granddaughter. She just had a triggering moment with her grandfather. That who knows what will lay down. And so when she goes off on a tangent like that, we just presence it. You know, and I'll talk to her. I say, what's going on? What's the problem? Everything's Okay. Nobody's disappeared. But, you know, it's that, that mindset of triggering. And you can see it because it's instantaneous with her. Just instantaneous. I put my, I have this bracelet that Sandy Roberts gifted me with, and it's got the chakras on it, and I put it on her wrist one day. And I made the mistake of saying, oh, you've got a new bracelet. Well, that's all it took. That was hers. I was like, if she wouldn't try and eat it, I would give it to her. But I'm worried about her swallowing these pearls, so she doesn't get to have it. But all those things, everything, when you're two years old, everything is yours. You know, this is the way it works. And how many people do we know that are in a big person's body and still operating as if they're two years old? That's a question I have. So if we don't understand the triggering moments and bring wisdom to it, we're, we've got challenges. So the point being is, what if there was no energy that you were giving to pushing life away. Because when we're in coherence and we're pushing life away, life can't move through us. In the Joe Dispenza work, he talks about your good comes to you. But what it requires is coherence. It requires an understanding of who we are and whose we are at the deepest level of our being. And that's the work we're about, is that we are here at, at this point in time to give birth to that consciousness. So what would change for you if you didn't believe that something or someone was against you? Anybody feel like the world's against them? That someone's against you? Because most people do. 
And so what we do, then we create a myth or we create a belief around that. And I've done it too. I'm, I'm sharing with you my own journey with this. And so what I know is the more that I can dismantle my structure of knowing or my beliefs around things that don't serve me well, the happier I am. The world's a better place. To live a life of wholeness and worth as opposed to living from our sense of inadequacy, unworthiness, or something is wrong with me. To live a life of wholeness and worth. So I ask you, can you see how a better world is possible when we are living from our wholeness and worth? Does that make sense? It's better for everybody. It's not selfish. It's actually the healthiest way to be. To have clear boundaries. To think about things before we say yes or agree to anything. To say no to things that don't line up with what we, why we've come here to, well, who we have come here to be. So I've been talking a lot about this Q process that we're going to bring to the community on October 13th, 14th, and 15th. On the 14th, we're going to offer that Q process, and it's a 21-day it's a program. It's very powerful. It's a simple tool. It's self-directed. That's what I love about it. It's self-directed. You're not, you're not contingent on anybody. It's all up to you to do the 21 days. I did my 21 days. I'm in my second 21 days. I just keep going. Because surprisingly, every day I get triggered. Can you imagine that? In this world of contrast and paradox, all I have to do is open up Yahoo and read what President Trump has done. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh. My teacher used to say that to me all the time. I love her. I'd go and I'd tell her some gossip. And she'd always, she would admonish me first. So I learned not to gossip with her. And then she said, now I've got to go do my forgiveness work. I feel just like her. It's like, oh, my gosh. Now I've got to go do another, another Q process sheet. Because I'm not dragging this with me. So what we teach, we teach one power, one presence, God. Don't we? It's just, that's the teaching. One power, one presence, God. So simple. You got it? Eh, so hard to live. Man, this is just so wide open. I need some rules. But what happens with one power, one presence, God, for all of us, I'm with you on this, we have our exceptions. We have our exceptions because we get triggered. And all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, well, that's not God because he said this or she said that. And so what it, what it requires then is a willingness to look at our exceptions. How do we reconcile our exceptions with this idea? How can, well, there's one power, one presence, God, which is male and female. It's a principle. It's not a personality. So understand, it's, it's God's a, a goddess as well. She's beautiful. And so how do I reconcile that with my exceptions. This is just so extraordinary that it, God couldn't possibly be involved with this. That's that idea of separation. And we are, we are a, a, a tradition of unity. So when we can manage our triggers, we must understand that there are times when we are not conscious, when we are having our life as if it's against us. We are always having our life based on the consciousness and the impress we've put upon this law, this infinite law. We're always having our life. So it's like going into a restaurant and ordering a meal. And if you don't order the toast, but you get tomatoes instead for your eggs in the morning, they bring tomatoes out. And the law works the same way. Now, if they don't do it, you usually send it back. I never do that because I'm always worried they're going to be spitting on my food when they're going back to the kitchen. But <laughs> I'm just saying, theoretically, if it's not what you ordered, you send it back. But I've had friends that have worked in restaurants say, never send your food back. And they're okay. Oh, yes, it's perfect. Thank you so much. I shouldn't plant that seed with you. Now you've got another trigger going on. <laughs> Forget all that. Let's rewind. 
It's all good. But when we start to live as if there's someone, and most people do, there's some, I mean, look at Donald Trump. He's got something and someone against him every moment of the day. This is how he lives his life. This is how he draws energy. Is it right or wrong? I'm not gonna place judgment on it. It's just, it's not my choice. That's not how I would choose to live my life. But unfortunately, he doesn't even know he has a triggering moment. That's just how he does life. He doesn't even have the awareness. So it's not as if he's cruel and mean because I think he has every good intention. He's just ignorant. But we're all ignorant at some level. It's waking up and staying awake. So it's reconciling our, our, uh, this idea of one power, one presence. So then we move into enemy territory. Enemy territory, I have a cartoon here for you. There's, they are at the, uh, the marriage counselor's office and it says underneath, that's precisely what we're talking about, Bob. You cannot simply play dead anytime Vera raises a difficult issue. <laughs> I, guess, I mean, it is, because it's, it's, it's so true. <laughs> How many people do we know play dead as soon as something serious comes up? Sorry, I didn't sign up for this. But enemy territory is really around this, the interior work that happens. So how do we know we're being triggered? Well, number one, the next slide is a wonderful little uh, picture there of someone that probably camped, pitched their tent in the wrong location. But it involves uncomfortable feelings, unpleasant sensations, and troublesome thoughts. So when you find yourself being stirred, having a troublesome feeling, you find yourself with a, some unpleasant sensation that's going on that co- is coming from the outside. Uh, that's triggering you, or this troublesome thought. I mean, just look at the suicide rate. We've never had more people taking their own lives in the Western world than ever before, than now. And I would say that's a troublesome thought, because if you understand who you are and whose you are and why you're here, and and the value that you represent, despite all of the troublesome thoughts and the uncomfortable feelings and sensations, you would never see that as an option because you just stay on that samsara as the the Hindus talk about of life, that wheel of round and round. And it's our opportunity to wake up and wake up now. So these are indicators. Uncomfortable feelings, unpleasant sensations, and troublesome thoughts are our indicators that we have stepped out of our well-being, that we have set off into some way way of being that is less than productive. So we're out of coherence. We're out of alignment with the truth of our being. Just like singing with Mallory up here. That, that, you know, it's so easy to step into that rhythm. You know, last week I showed the metronomes. Click, 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 and over two minutes they all lined up. There's a rhythm. There is a structure in the universe of order that we can step into. But it requires our willingness to be aware that, geez, I'm out of rhythm. There's nothing wrong with being out of rhythm. It's staying out of rhythm that's the problem. It's staying stuck in those feelings of resentment and anger and frustration. Those are our triggering moments. And if we don't find a way to transform them, nothing ever shifts and changes. It's just the same cycle over and over and over again. So understanding, as I mentioned feelings last week, understanding the difference between feelings and thoughts is very important. So let's say that you've been betrayed. Would you say betray as a feeling or a thought? Both is not an option. Pardon me? Thought. Yeah, being betrayed is a thought. It's not, betrayed is not an emotion. 
You can, you can be betrayed and you can, you can feel betrayed, but that's not what you're feeling. You're feeling anger, you're feeling frustration, you're feeling heartbreak, you're feeling sadness, sorrow, revenge, resentment. There's a whole lit, they're great. There's all these great emotions you can have. But betrayal is a thought. And so part of the cue process is that Gary, uh, Dr. Gary Simmons, we, you drill down through it and it's all coached, it's all available, uh, self-directed. Each time, each time I'm triggered, I go to my feeling page and I go through them all. Sometimes I write down a dozen feelings. It's like, wow, I'm having this because I'm owning it. I'm bringing it into awareness, I'm writing it down and saying, okay, that's what I'm feeling. And when I write it down and I bring it into awareness, it takes the, it takes the charge off it. It seems simple. But it's so powerful to all of a sudden go, wait a minute here, that's what I'm feeling. Because by the time I get done running the list, I'm, I'm not feeling that anymore. It's fascinating. So to understand it, so when we're feeling crummy, whenever we're feeling crummy, we always see the glass is half full. It's just the way it is. Correct? Do you see the glasses is, are half empty? Do you see the glasses half full or half empty? It just depends on the state of, of feeling that we're in. And then it becomes the context of our life's reality. When we're having discomfort, typically we try and resolve it by having our life look differently so we can feel differently. And getting our life to look differently so we can feel differently is, is not where the work is done. That's not where the traction is found. You want to shift the consciousness. We want to transform consciousness. So moving the furniture around in your living room to make you feel better may bring some relief and it may provide some, some physical exercise, but it isn't going to shift consciousness. What does the you inside of you have to be for life to have to be against you? That's a question from Dr. Gary. What does the you inside of you have to be for you to feel that life is against you? Because there's an inside you that is not the truth of you but functions as if it was the truth of you. And that's where we get lost. When you're not awake, when you're unconscious, when you're living a life pattern that is running you, this life pattern shows up when we feel something or someone is against us. And this is when we're being somebody that we are not. And most people spend the majority of their time being somebody they are not. If we are oneness, if we are oneness and accept that, if we truly lived that and knew that, that no one was against us, no thing was against us, that we are loved beyond imagination, that everything, every seed that we plant in our own being nature, that the sum total of our consciousness is always impressing upon this infinite divine presence, the same ideas, the sum total of that, that goes into the wave of possibility and comes out as particle as our experience. If we truly believed in oneness, why would we live with, with lack and limitation? I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. But we all have this experience. And it's not criticism. It's the common experience that we have. We come into this world to fall asleep in it. And then fortunately, some of us have the luxury and the opportunity to start to shift it and change it and awaken. And see, I, you know, what's happened recently with the planet and especially what's going down in the States. I mean, you know, whether Trump like him or not, man, that guy has mobilized people. I mean, I get up every day and I realize I got work to do in consciousness here. This, is, this guy's a wake-up call. God bless that orange little blonde-haired dude that's running around. It's a wake-up call for all of us to stop abdicating responsibility. I've got, I've got my own work to do here. What do, who did I come here to be? 
That's part of the cue card. Everyone gets a cue card. You figure out the qualities of why, and it can change over time. Who did you come here to be? I get up every morning and I do my, my, uh, my cue process and I look at my cue card and I look at the qualities that I've come here to be. And it gives me a roadmap for the day. So when I get out in the day and I get triggered, I go, wait a minute, I gotta go back to my cue card. Hmm, that's not on my cue card. You know, I wanna tear somebody's lips off. No, I gotta go back here. What's getting triggered here? Where did that get planted in me? All kinds of wonderful, powerful things are coming up. So the next idea is the big split. The big split, Carl Jung had the idea that we are born whole and then lose pieces of ourselves in the crucible of childhood. The main task of midlife, Jung thought, was to weather the crisis that arises from this experience of loss and become a whole integrated person again. So we, we go to sleep in it and then we get to become a whole person. There's a wonderful woman by the name of Karen Horney. And Karen Horney was a contemporary of Freud, Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. But she was a woman and she worked primarily with Freud, but she was the same era. And she defined it because she worked with children and women. And what she called it was the big split. And the big split is as a child when we don't get enough love, we don't get enough warmth, we don't get enough food or attention at that moment in time and all of a sudden the development of the personality happens because we realized that our caretaker couldn't provide that and it happens. It happened the other day in the park with my granddaughter. There was a moment of separation and she didn't like it. And, but it's nice to have the awareness go, wow, look at her. Look at her start to develop her personality and she's safe and she's loved and you know, in 20 seconds she's on to something else. She's laughing and giggling, you know. But it's so beautiful to know that it's so beautiful to know that we don't have to wrap our children in bubble wrap and store them in the closet, that they're here to bump into the world. They're here to fall asleep. But we don't help them by staying asleep with them. It's like, wait a minute here. You're the one. You showed up here for a purpose. You are powerful. You are creative. You are the unlimited possibility. You have unique gifts and talents. How can we, how can we nurture that and draw that out and have you express that? And there's so many great programs that do do that, education programs in so many areas, so many gifted teachers, talented people, educators, programs. How can we do more of that for one another? Because that's not everybody's experience. It happens to us many times, as I said, it's pre-verbal. It's when we're infants. And here's the deal. All of this stuff, it's not your fault. It's not your fault this happened. Your parents did the best they knew how. Even if they were the worst parents in the world, they did, that's the best they knew how. It's not your fault. But it's your problem. It's my problem. So I'm done blaming. I'm about the business of being part of the solution. Because that, that, that problem, I think, is a big problem. And I said it last week, I'll say it again. When I see a guy get into a car and kill people, drive into a crowd of people because he disagrees, that's that unresolved shadow. That's that part, that rage that gets stored up and it doesn't have a ritual, doesn't have any way to release it, and it gets played out in society, and then we're terrorized by it, and I'm terrorized by it, and I'm indignant about it, and I get charged up, and I want it to be different. I want to read this from Robert Johnson's book here. He says, the psyche is unaware of the differences between the outer act and the interior one. Our shadow qualities are lived out equally well from the viewpoint of self either way. So whether we do it in our mind or whether we do it physically. Cultures can only function as if they live out of the unwanted elements symbolically. All healthy societies have a rich ceremonial life. Less healthy ones rely on unconscious expression. 
that looks like the following. Wars, violence, psychosomatic illness, neurotic suffering, and accidents are very low-grade ways of living out the shadow. And so what he's saying here, and what I know is true, is that if we don't own it and bring it into the wholeness of our being and understand it and bring awareness to it so we bring mastery to it so it doesn't run us, it gets played out like that. As, as Freud said, I mean, as Carl Jung said, that which, when we don't bring the unconscious and make it conscious, it plays out in our life and we call it fate. So why do good things happen to bad people? Well, if you're always good, there's that other piece that you need to own. So within Gary's Q process, there's daily activities that you do to help drain some of the energy. They're very short and simple. You make a commitment to do things each day, and it's something that's kinesthetic and tangible. Dr. Ernest Holmes said, daily we must constantly reverse our position in the law, knowing that we are no longer subject to the race suggestion of lack, limitation, want, or fear, and knowing that the Spirit is with us and for us and operating through us. Knowing that all good is ours and specifically declaring that the particular good that we desire is now made manifest. Wonderful idea, but what gets in the way from the congruence is that unresolved energy that blocks us and doesn't allow us to flow. And so when we have practices in our lives to integrate the shadow, the shadow integration is very, very important. And all of a sudden it just becomes a habit. It just becomes a way of life. Oh, wait, look at that. I got triggered. That's something I get to write about tonight. It's amazing the stuff that's coming up for me now. I'm like, holy, whoa, look at that. Look at that. Some, and some of the deep shames that I've carried that I haven't looked at it for years. That I, wow, look at that. I've been carrying that energy. It's so freeing. And I notice over time, and I've only been at it now. Laura and I have been at it for, I don't know, six, eight weeks. But it's beautiful stuff. It's beautiful stuff. And I, I just am so excited about it. So what, what happens with it, number one, is we watch it unfold. We watch the trigger. We watch it unfold. And then we get to choose how we're going to be with it. Am I going to let this run me or not? Is this my trigger? Am I off running with it or not? Or maybe no. Maybe no. I've been just watching how, how tripwired I am with certain things where something happens and I feel like I, immediately I've got to have relief for it. It's like, wait a minute. Let's knock that off. Let's, not, let's just stand in it for a bit because it's uncomfortable. This work is uncomfortable. Why it's, it's why it's not popular. And the other problem with it is it's ongoing. It's a lifetime. It's never over. It's not like we're going to get some point and go, wow, I got it all figured out. No, because we're going to work with this trigger and all of a sudden we're going to have another one over here. But that's the way it works. It's a beautiful thing. But when you're equipped for it, when you're prepared for it, when you show up in the mastery of it and the awareness of it, then it's just a way of being. Every great avatar, every great person that's made a difference on this planet had this capacity to stand in the the eye of the hurricane and deal with this. So you watch it unfold, you choose how we're going to be, and you take some authentic action. I've been doing a lot of cleaning lately, organizing. We just remodeled Laura's office down the hall here. All tidied up the other day. It's beautiful, beautiful energy when you do that. I'm slowly working on my office. I got all kinds of good stuff to clean up. It's awesome. But those things are the kinesthetic thing that helps ground it because you have to have something that grounds it. Otherwise, it's just more knowledge. How do we make it wisdom? There's a wonderful story in this book about Marie Antoinette. You remember Marie? Anybody here? Did you anyone know Marie in your last lifetime? She was the queen of France. And so one day she said, I'm bored being queen of France here. I need something real in my life. 
So she decided that she was going to be a milkmaid. Did you know this about her? It's a true story. She decided, I'm going to be a milkmaid. So she had her servants build the most beautiful barns that have ever been built. They're still a, a tourist attraction in Versailles. I haven't even seen them. I'm going to Google them soon. That, but supposedly they're incredible. And then she shipped in the finest milking cows that the world had to offer from Switzerland. And so she brings the cows in and she goes down and she's in her milkmaid outfit and she's just about ready to sit down on a little three-legged stool to milk the cow. And she stands up and says, I'm not going to milk the cows. I'm going to have my servants milk the cows. And so what Robert Johnson says is that the queen's original impulse was correct. She needed something to balance the formality of her court. See, she was so far over here being royal and being, and being special that she couldn't be real. So he says, if she had continued her ceremony of milking, we need rituals in our lives. If we continued her ceremony of milking, her life and the history of France might have taken a different turn. Instead, she was beheaded. The earthy side of the court emerged in this brutal act when it's, it might have lived out in the simple gesture of a milkmaid. But isn't it interesting, the polarities that we can get trapped in? To have those things that bring us all the way over here. He talks about two uh, partners in this book. And whenever they had some good fortune, whenever one of the partners had good fortune, they were assigned to take the garbage out all week to balance it out. Say, we always want to be over here in the light when all of a sudden you've got to roll this in as well. I mean, it's just those little things of how we shift and change the energy. So I want to share with you, this is a video from Gary's, Gary Simmons' um, Q process. It's one of the first. It's a little two-minute segment. But I think it speaks so beautifully about why this work is so important who we are not. Okay, so I haven't answered that question yet, the distinction between who we are and who we are not, but can you see how if there's a part of our uh, being-ness that is invested in something that we're not, that's not the truth of us, how there has to be some mechanism in life that exposes that incongruence. And so when our life looks and feels against us, it's really a mirror unto that part of us that is not the truth of us. And so, who are you? We're going to answer that question as soon as I turn on the, the speaker. says it so well what we need what I need in my life is I need practices in my life that can pull me off when I go off the rails I forget who I am I either believe I am one with the one or I don't what I find is I struggle because I go out in the world and things happen and people say things and people do things and if I don't understand projection if I don't understand my relationship to it my energy gets just taken away 
And what I want for myself and I want for you and what I want for my grandkids is people that are awake and aware and wise enough to direct our energy, to have mechanisms in our life so that we can come together and really, truly be productive, really make a difference in the world. You're already making a difference in the world. But what is possible when we can take 20% and we can make it 40% or 60%, that we can live from that oneness more fully? And then that becomes our legacy. And then when people talk about you and your family and the difference you've made, I've had people come to me and say, you know, I never told you this, but in 10 years, the, the changes and shifts and changes I've seen with people in my family as a result of of being connected to this community and what it represents are amazing. And so this is our opportunity. We are the ones. It says it right in the textbook at the beginning of the Science of Mind textbook. Gene Houston writes the, the foreword and says, now is the time and we are the ones. Now is the time and we are the ones. So I want to let you know that we're going to offer this in October. We're going to continue to offer it. This is not going to be a standalone thing. This is going to be part of our culture. We're going to shift this culture. So the people that are trapped and can't integrate shadow have an opportunity to come and be part of that experience. And we lead, we lead that way, but it, it's a shift in culture that takes not months, it takes years. But this is our stepping into it. So I hope that if you feel called to it, that you can step into it right now. If you're not ready to do it right now, or it, it's, not, it's not aligning with where you are, we love and honor that as well. Thank you for being here and listening to this. But I think the world is is ready for this in a bigger way. And I've witnessed what's happening in other communities that have taken this on, and it's, it's quite inspiring. And I wanna live, I wanna live in a community like that, and I want you to live like that as well. And then we are blessing the world and sharing our gifts and making a difference and bringing love where there is no love and healing where healing is called for. So thank you so much, blessings and love.